Good. Kat, would you come on up? Kat's going to do our reading. If you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? If you can't stand, just change your posture, lift your gaze up, put your hands out, whatever you need to do. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious skull came up, came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that um, you have secured our salvation, and now you want us to learn how to live into your freedom. And so I pray that tonight, Lord, the words that come out of my mouth and as we dig into the word, that it will help produce the freedom that you designed us to live in. Would, Lord, would you move in this room in a way that helps us to be anchored in you? Holy Spirit, help me to say what's only on your heart to say and help my friends to only pay attention to what's from you. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 All right. So we are digging into a brand new series. and We're going to start out with this passage. This little story is probably one of my favorite little stories of Jesus in the Gospels. It's like so dense and full of meaning. Uh, and so, so we're going to unpack it just a little bit. Let me kind of set the scene. So Jesus... Uh, here in this passage, has been going around and, and sharing about the kingdom of God that's breaking in here and now. And he's been gathering followers, so specifically 12 men who are following him around and a group of women who are also following Jesus around. And he's kind of getting a lot of attention because he's doing all of these miracles. He is uh, casting out demons, he's healing people. And so they've been kind of going around from place to place. Uh, and now uh, he's got this group of people who are fishermen, so they have boats. And so he wants to go from one side of the lake to the other. And the easiest way to do that is like, hey, take a short boat, boat ride, right? And plus, who doesn't like to be in a boat, right? I mean, it's like our whole area is like everyone loves boats. So like not a lot of people like to own boats, but a lot, a lot of people like to be on a boat, right? Like if you have a boat, you'll have a lot of best friends until it's time to put it away, right? But anyway, Jesus' friends have boats. Uh, and so he's like, hey, let's go over here, right? Let's go from point A to point, point B. And while they're on this boat on this lake called the Sea of Galilee, uh, a storm kicks up. And the way that this, if you were reading and you were like reading in the original language, it would be very, very clear to you this wasn't like an average ordinary storm. The word that's used to describe the storm is a mega storm. That's literally what it says in Greek. When we say mega, we think big. He's like, yes, this is like a super heavy storm. So, and actually, um, the way that this works is the Sea of Galilee is kind of situated in this kind of valley. And a lot of times when you're in a valley, it's easy for winds to come through really quickly and kind of come out of nowhere. So imagine if you're down in a valley, you can't see what's on the other side of a mountain. And what happens in this area is these winds rush through this valley and storms can kind of kick up out of nowhere. And they're all of a sudden, they are very, they come out of nowhere and they're extremely, extremely dangerous. Remember, like we're talking 2,000 years ago, there's no like weather alert on your phone to being like, hey, take cover. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a cloud, we're about to die. That's kind of the nature of it, right? So now these are like hardened fishermen, 
on this boat. These are people who grew up on the sea. Like these are people who knew how to navigate these waters. Even those who weren't fishermen would have known how do you navigate around the water because their whole life, their whole culture was built around the water. And so these hardened fishermen are scared. I, have you ever been on like a boat with like a captain, like a legit sea captain? They're a different breed of person. Like they're like, they just kind of, they're not scared. Like, they don't scare easily. There's been a few times where I've been on a boat, and, like, we've been on, like, the bay, the Chesapeake Bay, and the boat's been doing like this. There are people puking, like, on the back of the boat. The captain's just chilling like nothing's happening, right? And I'm like, are we going to be okay? Like, it's like, yeah, we're going to be fine. Like, they just don't scare easily. So this is a big storm if it's scaring people who own boats and fish for a living. And on top of that, uh, it was common in this day in the, uh, for, for the people to believe that beneath the waters, there was chaos on top of the waters, but there was chaos below the waters. That actually under the water, there were monsters and demons and things that lived. And if you went overboard, you might be subject to them coming out of the depths and getting to you. They actually believed that that was kind of the demons were contained within the chaos of the waters. So imagine a storm comes up that you might just physically die, but then also there are spiritual beings that might come and get you. This thing's like straight out of a horror movie, right? Uh, and so here, here they are with a storm that's big enough to crash them, not only out of the boat, but into the chaos below. I don't know about you, but I'd be with the disciples in the story who are like, what the heck is going on? And frantically trying to figure out how to like not go overboard and not die. I would be scared. Anyone else? You're like, it would be a normal thing. As a matter of fact, there's this famous painting by Rembrandt. Uh, can you pull that up? Oh, man, there's no way you'll be able to see this because it's just too small for the size of the room. But you can kind of get the picture. This, this boat is flipping up. It's about to go totally capsized. The, the sails are torn. Everyone on the boat is chaos. You actually can't see, but at the very bottom of the picture is Jesus just looking super chill. Like, and they're like trying to, get his, trying to get his attention. Fun fact, this painting was stolen and no one knows where it's at. There's a documentary on Netflix. Like, uh, this is like this crazy uh, valuable painting that's stolen and it's hanging in somebody's basement or something. I don't know. But everyone in this picture is freaking out except for one person, Jesus. He's sleeping and he's being awakened not by the storm, but he's being awakened by accusations. Don't you care that we're about to die? They come and they shake Jesus. And then Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the winds, the wave. That word rebuke, like we think of that as a negative thing. It just means to command something, to put something in its place. And so he's like, hey, stop, says to the winds. Peace, be still. And miraculously, the sea is calm. And then the disciples who were freaked out of the storm are now freaked out on a totally different level. They're like, who is this guy? Like, no one tells the storm to stop, and it works. Like, you think they were praying, right? It, was like, it wasn't like they were... Uh, when you're in a moment of danger, you might not consciously pray, but even atheists pray, right? Like, uh, so you, there's actually an underlying belief in almost every human person that when you're in danger, our knee-jerk reaction is to call out for something that's bigger than us. So it's not as though the disciples weren't praying. They were like, I'm sure they were. But when Jesus prays and tells the storm to do something different, it doesn't, and they're freaked out by this. And so Jesus looks at them in this puzzled kind of way and says, hey, why are you guys so afraid? Do you still have so little faith? 
So what is going on in this story? Like, what, what, what is happening here? Well, on one level, we have a story that reveals really simply the identity of Jesus. So all throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, there's a constant kind of idea that recurs that only God is in control of the troubled waters. And only he can tell the waters what to do. So God, while the waters may be chaotic, he's the one, think about Moses, parts the Red Sea, right? Think about Joshua, the river stops flowing in one direction. Think about Elijah calling on the rain. It's God who controls the, all of the elements, right? And so here you have in this moment a man who very clearly is more than a man in this instant. As he tells the waters to stop, the storm to stop, it's revealing something about who he was. So on one level, this is simply revealing that Jesus was the Messiah. And think about this. If the disciples really knew who, were, who was in the boat with them, they wouldn't have had a worry in the world, right? The God who created all this is sitting here in the boat with us. I think we're going to be okay. They shouldn't have worried. Despite the chaos of the storm, the truth of the matter is they actually had like an anchor in the boat with them that could have kept them safe from capsizing in this moment, keep them secure in the midst of that chaos or any other kind of chaos. But there's something else going on here too because the reality is, and we've got to retrain ourselves to think about this and think this way when we read the Gospels. Everything that Jesus does, he does to teach his disciples how to do something. So Jesus is very rarely just doing something as Jesus, this, this, this act that only the Messiah can do. He actually wants his disciples to do what he does. And so in this moment, we see from the way that Jesus questions his disciples, his expectation of his disciples was that they would be able to speak to the storm in the same way that he did. That's why he asked them, why do you have so little faith? I, like, I'm over here sleeping. I trust in you guys to take care of this. Why are you waking me up? I know it sounds, it sounds kind of funny, but the reality is everything about the life of Jesus communicates to us that his disciples and that we are supposed to do the things that he did. Did Jesus say, they, you will do even greater things than I? Did he say that? Yes. Did he tell the disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, and teach them to obey everything I taught you, Right? He taught his disciples how to pray for people, how to deliver people from sickness and disease and, and all these other kinds of things. He taught his disciples how to include people that no one else would include. He taught his disciples all these other things. And this is one of those moments where Jesus is, again, revealing something like, I, I would hope my disciples would get this. Now, that might seem like really far-fetched to, to you and I. Like, like it seems like high, high bar expectations, Jesus. Like, like, I didn't take the storm praying class. Like, when do, when do we sign up for that? But up to this point, you have to remember, they've seen Jesus already do some pretty crazy stuff. They've been walking with Jesus for a little while, and they've seen him do these incredible miracles. And so his expectation is, in doing this, that he's going to teach them something. So what is the difference? Why does Jesus, why is he able to speak to the storm and seem calm and collected while the disciples are in this kind of state of chaos? Well, here's the way I think we should think about it. There was something inside of Jesus that was different from the world around him. There was something that was inside of Jesus that was different than what was in the disciples. Because here's what happens in this story. Jesus brings the peace that is inside of him 
to the chaos that's outside of him. You see that? It's interesting. Jesus, in the middle of all this chaos, there's something going on inside of him that the moment he wakes up and speaks to it, it immediately brings outside whatever was on the inside. The disciples, on the other hand, they bring the chaos that's in their heart to the chaos that's outside of them. Do you see that? It draws out what happens oftentimes when we find ourselves in a storm or something chaotic is it reveals what's on the inside, right? It doesn't force us to have something. It reveals something. So in this moment, one thing is revealed about the disciples and one thing is revealed about Jesus. Jesus responds in one way. His disciples respond in a different way. Helps me to think about it like this, that Jesus was anchored on the inside. There was something about him in the middle of this storm that was steady and secure. Something about him on the inside that was anchored. Anchors keep ships from drifting and being tossed around by the winds and waves. They hold ships in place. And Jesus had something going on inside that was keeping him from participating in the chaos that was going on around him. Now, to be clear, in a storm like this one, physical anchors are not what you need. Actually, if you were in a storm and the water was kind of this chaotic and it was, the boat was about to capsize, an anchor doesn't help you. The winds and waves would have sunk the ship. But what we're talking about here is an anchor on the inside. Jesus was anchored in his heart and in his mind and his spirit. And so in the middle of this dangerous and chaotic moment, while everything around him is unsteady, he is steady. So steady, in fact, he's able to sleep in the middle of all of this. Do you ever, uh, this is not having anything to do with sermon, are you ever find yourself jealous of people who can sleep just anywhere? <laughs> I am not one of these people. I need my fan and night, like, you know, blackout curtains. It has to be 66 degrees and not one degree warmer. Like, you know, anyway, this is, that's aside. There's nothing spiritual about that. So I'm just, I'm just confessing my jealousy over people who can sleep in any situation. But Jesus is so anchored that he's able to sleep. The disciples, on the other hand, are untethered, completely unanchored in this moment. And again, here's the thing, though. Jesus wants us to experience what he experienced. Now here, I just wanna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come around to this later at the end, but I wanna say it right now because I wanna release you from any heaviness about this, okay? Jesus wants this for you, not from you. Hear this. Jesus wants this for you, not from you. Because I know, I know right now, I know if I was sitting in your shoes, I'd be thinking like, I'm already a super anxious person and you're gonna make me more anxious by telling me I shouldn't be anxious, right? That's not what I'm saying. Like, we're actually gonna redirect our thoughts to be anchored by Jesus by fixing our attention on him rather than what's going on inside of us, okay? So I want, I want you to hear this. Jesus wants freedom for you in this, not just from you. We're all called to be like Jesus. He wants us to live like him and experience what he experienced, what he wants for his disciples is what he wants for us. He desires for us to become anchored people just like he was. So how does one become anchored? How do we shift from being the kind of people who are kind of tossed around by the winds and waves externally and internally to be the kind of people that are anchored in a way that when there's chaos around us, we can be agents of peace? Or there's a common phrase now that's becoming more and more popular, a non-anxious presence. How do we become that? How can we, in the middle of the chaos and storms of life, become an anchored person? 
Because the reality is, storms are coming. Chaos is coming. We all know this. We all know it to be true, right? Our lived experience is that on this side of heaven, there is hardship and there is suffering and there is difficulty. Paul tells uh, one, of, one of his people later, the Apostle Paul, he's writing a letter and he's like, don't be surprised by our suffering. It's like, you should expect this. Jesus tells his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. It's like, he's letting his disciples know, like, guys, it's, there's going to be hard stuff that happens. We're, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that we're more than conquerors. Um, if you're more than a conqueror, it assumes that you're going to face situations where you're going to have to conquer, Right? And, and so there are going to be times and challenges and chaos and storms in life that are going to be really difficult. Paul prays that we would know Jesus and the fellowship of his suffering. There are just things that happen in life that are really hard, right? Like, I mean, you guys know this to be true. We're not trying to put our heads in the, under the ground and act like life isn't hard sometimes because life is there's stuff that happens to us that we don't have any control over. There's stuff that happens to us because of the choices that we make. All, like sometimes we don't understand why this stuff is happening, but storms and chaos will be with us until Jesus returns. I know you might not feel like, oh man, that's a downer channel. What's, what's the deal? I thought it was supposed to be about victory. Like, I, I mean, every disciple that we know of was martyred for following Jesus. Ouch, right? Christians around the world today, right now, somewhere, my guess is today, somewhere in China, there's someone with a scrap of paper smaller than this with as many little tiny Bible verses as they can possibly write on it who are huddling in a corner reading every little bit of the Bible because if they get found out, they will lose everything. Suffering and hardship is with us, right? There's difficulty all around us. Sometimes those kind of storms, they come like in this story all of a sudden and out of nowhere. Bad report from the doctor, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, some news that you didn't expect. Sometimes those storms come like that. Sometimes they feel like they're more gradual and feels like less like you're being overwhelmed, but, but like the waves are just slowly eroding, right? Just as waves are slowly, slowly beating up in my life. So if that's the case, how do we stay anchored in the midst of all of that? Now that I've brought you all down, let's build you back up again. <laughs> how do we stay anchored? Well, here's a clue, I think. How Jesus acted in this moment was less a product of his like, spiritual powers and divine ability and more of a result of what he believed. What Jesus does in this moment as he calms the storm is less a product of him having supernatural powers and more a product of what he was thinking and what he had in his heart. You see, Jesus had been walking with his heavenly father for 30 years before this point. He'd been spent a ton of time getting to know the, the heart of his father, hearing his voice. And he learned some things about himself and about who God was and about how the world was operating. And he sees everything that he does in this life through that lens, as Jesus enters into the world with his public ministry, he has this whole history of this relationship he's built with his heavenly father and learning how he, learning what his father is like, learning what he is like, learning what the world is, right, is like. And so when he enters into this moment, he's like locked into a worldview. Jesus never wavers. Have you ever, ever noticed that in his ministry? 
We'll come back to the second. There are moments of grief. There are moments of anguish. But Jesus is like completely focused every step of the way on who his father is and what his mission is and what he's called to do. And so in this moment, that stuff comes out. You see, Jesus could have acted the same as the disciples. He could have responded the same way. Jesus was in the boat with the 12 other guys, right? Experiencing the same storm. He could have been like, Father, uh, you said I was gonna do all this awesome stuff here in life and this doesn't seem like the end, so don't you care, right? I'm just gonna tell you that my prayer life sounds a lot like that sometimes. Anyone else? Any true confessions in this room? Yeah? So, but Jesus doesn't do that in this moment. You know, actually, Jesus never throws an accusation at the Father like this. Even when Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, uh, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting a psalm, and in, 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 uh, I think it's Psalm 22 in the Old Testament, and it's actually about how God has not forsaken me, even though it seems like he has. It's a, it's a really cool thing. Dig into that another time, right? But Jesus could have done that. He could have thrown accusations at God in the midst of this. Don't you care that this is happening? But he saw himself and he saw the world differently. See, he was anchored in a truth or in truths that were louder than the circumstances. He was anchored in truth that was louder than the circumstances. Didn't mean the circumstances didn't exist. It just meant that he was gonna turn up the dial on what he knows to be true so it's louder than what is happening around me. And that, that's the thing that's affecting me. Do you ever been in a room and, like, you hear, and you're like trying to listen to music and there are people talking and it's like distracting your ability to hear what you're listening to? Maybe it's not music, maybe it's a podcast. And you just find yourself, I gotta turn it up a little louder, right? Because if you turn it up louder, it brings your focus in onto what it is, whatever it is that you're trying to focus on. And that's what Jesus does. He turns up the volume on the truth despite the chaos that's around him. It brings himself into focus. And the result of that is he stays connected to his father, and then he saves himself. By rebuking the winds and the waves, he saves himself, and he saves the people in the boat with him. And that reminds me of what um, the Apostle Paul said to his protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Isn't that what Jesus does here? Doesn't he save himself and the people that are with him? See, we think whenever we read this passage in Timothy, we think about doctrine. Often, the moment we hear that word, we think about stuffy theology. The Trinity, God's sovereignty, free will. All, you know, we think about these stuffy things. But in, in when, when the Apostle Paul wrote that word doctrine, he wasn't thinking about that kind of theology. Although that's really important. He was talking about the simple beliefs, the teaching that we're meant to hold on to. Beliefs that are, that are important because even the small ones influence our actions. Small beliefs and, and really um, can affect the way that we interpret our world and the circumstances around us. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you had this experience, but as a little kid, you know, your parents tuck you in, turn the lights off. Over in the corner of the room, you see some large shadow, and you're like, that is a monster sent here to murder me, right? And so, and, and you have this belief in your mind of what this thing is, 
And so you're going to have a couple different responses. Most of us cover our heads and hide under, right? Like, I've always, always, always had some sort of weapon around my bed. So, by the way, if you have a break in my house, watch out. Like, uh, so, I mean, something. It could be a Nerf gun. So I wasn't like a hide under the covers. I was like, sneak attack. I'm going to sneak up on this thing, right? But one way or the other, you had this idea in your mind of something that was there until someone came and turned the lights on. You're like, oh, it's just my pile of dirty laundry over there. You're like, Chael, you had that much dirty laundry? Yeah, sometimes. Right, babe? I'm sorry. I love you. Right? I'm, I'm not afraid of the pile of dirty laundry anymore. But, uh, but anyway, this small belief influences what you do, right? I'm going to hide even though it's not a real thing. Or maybe you were the person who was afraid because you thought something was under your bed, right? And you, like, didn't want to put your foot down, right? Anyone? Like, don't touch, don't touch. The thing's going to grab me from underneath there. And so you do all kinds of crazy things when you're a kid, like, jump across the room far away from your bed. It's all silly, but they're beliefs that influence our actions, right? I, I'm going to give you more examples because you need them, uh, because I need them. It will help me feel better about what I'm saying to you. Uh, so uh, there, um, I remember as a time when I was a kid, I had been watching MacGyver. Any MacGyver fans in the room? Yeah. And MacGyver's always blowing something up with handy-dandy things, you know, or whatever. And so uh, he, a lot of times he would use some sort of explosive. Well, I was absolutely convinced that Silly Putty was the same as, like, C4 explosives. And so one time I got really mad at my friend because he, like, wouldn't let me play a video game. And I walked around his basement throwing Silly Putty on the floor. It's like, I'm going to blow this house up. You're like, that's really psycho. And I'm like, yeah, it was. I was, a, I was like a real kind of a crazy kid. Uh, thankfully, it didn't work. But my belief was that I might like create a small little explosion. And then I don't know what my little child brain thought would be the result. I still wouldn't get to play the video game. Anyway, you get the point. The beliefs that you have influence your actions. Simple ideas have profound influence on your life. I'll give you another example. When we take our trips to Canada, we go on these canoe trips in Canada. We always teach people how to properly navigate in the canoe. And one of the key things we tell people is that when you are in the water and you're in the canoe and the water gets a little choppy, like that if you want to stay upright and not tip over, like one major thing that you should make sure you do is keep your paddle in the water. As long as you keep at least one paddle in the water, it's going to be really hard for you to tip over. But everyone refuses to believe this because everything in you when you're in the canoe, unless you've had some experience, says, hold on to the sides and hold down. Like, that, that will somehow keep me from tipping over. It's the worst thing that you can do. Because then when the waves come, you have nothing in the water to brace you. Your canoe is going to tip over. So I've seen people, no one in this room, <laughs> tip, tip over in flat water because they grabbed the side and shook, shook a little bit, you know? And then I've also seen people one time, I think, uh, I think it was me and Mark, tried to tip uh, this guy named Eric LaRue, our former pastor. We tried to tip him over in his canoe, and we couldn't do it because he kept his paddle in the water. He was like holding on to this belief that if I keep my paddle in the water, I am not going in. And so he did, and we couldn't tip him. Because your beliefs influence your actions, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what area of our life is. What you believe, even the simple things, influences what comes out of you in any given situation. What Jesus believes in this moment on the boat is revealed in his actions. His anchored, peaceful, non-anxious soul rises up in the middle of the storm. 
and what he believes is revealed in this situation. He didn't have time, by the way, to consult with theologians about why this is happening. I don't know about you, but when I'm like going through something heavy or difficult, I'm like, I gotta read a book about this. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta discover. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, but Jesus didn't have time for that, to get answers for the deeper questions of life, right? He didn't have time to get a group of pastoral counsel around him and said, guys, what are we going to do? Like, no, he didn't have time for that. In this moment, he's the only person who has peace in the situation to bring. And so what happens is the chaos around him reveals the peace that's in him. It, it comes out. And we don't know for sure exactly what Jesus would have been thinking. We don't know what his thought process was. But here's what I feel like I've come to learn, is that if we look at the life of Jesus and we look at the life of a believer, there are five key beliefs that we absolutely must hold on to if we want to be anchored people. Beliefs that we need to cultivate and hold on to before the storm comes so that when the storm comes, we're ready. When the difficulty comes, we're able to act like Jesus is and whatever that is. So here they are. You got a little card with these on them. Here they are. God is good. That one's simple enough, but really, really hard sometimes to believe. God is good. We're gonna unpack these over the next few weeks. I am loved. I'm never alone. I'm sent with purpose. And my future is secure. I think if we were to look at the life of Jesus and look at how what came out of him in these different situations, we could trace it back to some of these key ideas. And the more I've thought about engaging with people in pastoral situations and helping them and navigate through things, and even in my own life, I've, I've come to really believe that, man, these things are things that I absolutely must hold on, I absolutely must hold on to. Because first, if God isn't good, then who cares about the rest of it, right? If God isn't good, then it doesn't matter whether he loves me. I don't want to be loved by someone who isn't good, right? But if he is good, it really matters what he thinks about me. And the truth is, he loves me. The truth is, he's crazy, for, crazy about me, and he's crazy about you. The truth is, he gave his own life so that, I'm doing a lot of spit, sorry guys. Uh, he, he loves you so much that he gave himself for you. He suffered immense, immense pain for your forgiveness. You are deeply, deeply loved. I am deeply loved. And if that's true, what the promises of Scripture is that we are never alone, that the Holy Spirit lives in us and is with us at all times and all places, whether we feel him or not. More than that, we're not more than that, but in addition to that, we're also adopted into the family of God. So I not only have God, I have Father, Son, Holy Spirit on my side, I have the family of God on my side. I'm never alone. I'm sent with a purpose. Like what I, It doesn't matter what that purpose is. God has a plan for your life. He has good works prepared in advance for you to do. So whatever your station is in life, whatever it is, God has something for you. Man, that should bring a lot of confidence to whatever your day is. Like God has something for me today. And then my future is secure. It doesn't matter whether or not I fall out of this boat right now. I know that the end of the story is I end up with Jesus. I'm telling you that if you share these five convictions, you will be an anchored person, just like Jesus in any storm. So that in moments like this, think about this, in the water, I'm not debating whether or not God is really good. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that's settled for me. 
because I've cultivated that belief over time. In this moment when I'm in the storm and I'm worried is the, is the boat gonna capsize, I'm not debating whether or not this is happening because God, is, God loves me or not. I know he loves me. In this moment when the boat's about to flip over, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm alone. I know that God is with me. Everything in the scripture shouts from Genesis to Revelation that God is with you. I don't have to worry about whether or not my purpose is gonna be uprooted because I know that even if I fall out of this boat, God has some sort of purpose, some sort of destiny in this. He will use this for his glory. I'm confident of it. And then I don't have to worry about the ultimate end because my future is secure. But Paul told Timothy when he said, guard your life and your doctrine closely. The word that he uses here about guarding something, it's the idea of of keeping really careful watch or holding on to something that's precious. It makes me think about when um, uh, my kids, we do a vacation every every summer to where my parents live near Ocean City, Maryland. We go into the Atlantic Ocean. And... um, uh, when they're, especially before they're, before they really know how to swim and they're just learning, learning how to swim, they wear those puddle jumper things. You know what I'm talking about? It's got the sleeves on it and the straps in the back or whatever. And so we will go out beyond the waves uh, because where the waves crash is kind of, a, a, if you don't know how to swim really well, it can be kind of a dangerous spot to be. So we go out beyond the waves. And man, when we're out there, especially when my kids don't know how to swim well, I am watching with vigilance to make sure that they're close to me and they don't get swept away by the waves. And sometimes I can feel it pulling, and so I grab a hold of the back of their puddle jumper so, so, so they didn't get pulled in one direction because they're precious to me because I don't want to lose this thing that's really valuable to me. So I hold on. I keep really vigilant watch. Even if they swim away, I'm like, I, I make sure that they're within an arm's reach. And then in turn, they do that with me because they know that dad is the place of safety, that if they're out there and a big wave comes, I don't want to be too far away from dad. I want to be close to dad. And so they look with that same vigilance at me because I'm precious to them because I'm their their safety net. That's the imagery that Paul is using here when he talks to Timothy. I want you to treat your belief system the way that you think. I want you to guard this because it's the most precious thing to you because if you hold on to these things, it has the power to both save you and the people around you. Paul says this is a matter of life and death. That, what you, that we have to guard what's in our mind and what's in our heart, that you safeguard these simple ideas. You might think this is like an overstatement, but actually at the beginning of 1 Timothy, Paul specifically says some people have wandered away from these simple beliefs and they've shipwrecked their faith. That's why it's so important for us to be aware of what's going in our mind, of what, what, what we're thinking, what we're allowing, the thoughts that we're allowing to entertain, because he knows that this is really it can be either really awesome for us. We can either be the kind of people in the midst of a storm and a chaos that bring peace to a situation and like bring hope and bring joy and bring life, or we can be the kind of people that are just completely shipwrecked if we're not careful. I'm not saying there's, there's not in between. I'm just saying we have a choice about which direction our life will go. And again, I'm not talking about deeper matters of theology. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these simple things that if you don't have them, man, your life is gonna be tossed around like crazy. I can look back at my own life and think about times when I was unanchored. When I let some core convictions kind of slip. 
For me, the first thing that happened was drift. Because an anchor usually keeps a boat from drifting. And drift is something that can happen really subtly. If you've ever been in a, in, a, in a canoe or a boat and there's a little bit of current and all of a sudden before you know it, you're way offshore. Not intentionally, but it just happens over time. Actually, I think that drift in some ways, is the subtle drift is more dangerous than the storm. There's a documentary called um, Sheep Among Wolves. And uh, in the documentary, there's a couple from Iran um, who are fleeing religious persecution and they come to the U.S. And in the, in the U.S., they are physically safe but they feel spiritually in danger. The woman says, I feel like we're being lulled to sleep by a satanic lullaby because the Western church is so asleep. Do you know in Iran right now, it's one of the fastest growing movements in church history. Today, more people gave their life to, and to Jesus in Iran than probably any other point in history today. We're worried in the West about, about the church is dying. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna figure this out? They're not worried about it there. Why, why am I bringing that up right now? Because, because this drift thing is real. Because we can slowly allow ourselves to entertain ideas and things that are not godly, that are not helpful to us, and, and then all of a sudden, slowly but surely, we find ourselves way out floating at sea going, how did I get here? And I have no idea how to, get, how to get back because we've been lulled to sleep, because we've been anesthetized to the, to the things that are um, the, the, the things of God. But the reality is it's not like we need to be superhuman, awesome theologians it's not like we need to be the best, the best prayer warriors. It's like we've got to hold on to these five little things because I've, I've found that every other thing in my life comes back to these things, these simple ideas. Man, it's one thing to drift because then you can come back, but if you drift and then there's a storm that comes, which is what happened for me, man, then you're in real, real trouble of what Paul talks about is shipwrecking your faith. And that's what happened for me. I drifted, I drifted, I drifted, and the storm came, and it completely shipwrecked me for a while. Thankfully, we have a Savior and a Deliverer. And it's not up to me, because I have a God who rescued me. And you have a God who will rescue you too, who's pursuing you, who's, who's always saying, come back. I'm right here. Come back home. I'm right here with you. It's going to be okay. We're going to do this together. If you would just let me be in your life again. Like, there, that, that God was pursuing me all along. And so now I'm in a place where I feel like I'm learning every day. I'm not saying I get this right all the time to attend to these little truths every day in my life. To try to make sure I'm anchored in what's true despite whatever the circumstances are. 
that I'm, I'm really focused on, okay, God, remind me again of who you are. Remind me again of who I am. Because in this situation, I feel tempted to, to, to turn away from it. I don't understand it, but remind me again. Remind me again. And so I find myself able to bring peace in the middle of storms that I didn't think were possible. And you can too. And you do it already. I know you do. I see you do it, church. There's another little episode in the life of Jesus I think is really helpful, thinking about this. Just before Jesus goes to the cross, just before he's crucified, go, he knows he's about to face the most difficult thing he will ever face. He has this moment with his disciples when they're in this room and they're sharing this Passover meal where he gets down on his hands and his feet and he washes the dirty feet of his disciples. This is like the lowest of the low moment. This is before he's about to go through excruciating pain. And he decides to take this moment to display this incredible humility of washing his disciples' feet. In John 13, 3, this is what it said. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. Here's what I want you to see in this. Jesus had these beliefs that he knew about the Father and he knew about himself and he knew how things were gonna work out in the end. Not all of the details, but he knew all of that kind of stuff. And so because of that, he's able to freely give of himself in this moment where most of us, I don't know about you, this would have been a moment of extreme like turning inward and selfishness for me. I, this would have been a moment, I'm just being honest, like, and I think every human being would, would want the same thing. It would be like, hey, can you guys get around me and pray for me? This is gonna be really, really hard. But instead, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees because he knows he has such confidence in what God is doing and who he is and what God is like, those five things that are up there. He, we, he, he knows these things with such confidence that he can give himself away in the situation. It's like this is what Jesus has always been doing all along. Jesus had these anchor beliefs. God, I, I know you're in control. I know you're good. I know how this is gonna end. And so because of that, I am freed up in this moment to live as you have designed me to live. Friends, we are not walking in freedom that God designed for us to walk in because we're so bound up. I know I'm not. I, I've got two goals the remainder of this year. I felt like God really spoke to me clearly. I want you to be really present wherever you are and whoever you're with, and I want you to be aware of my presence in every moment. Man, and I have discovered how difficult it is to do those two things if I feel insecure in any way. Anybody relate to that? If I'm worrying about what I should be doing or what's this situation, how is this gonna work out? I don't know, I can't control that, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I'm not present and I'm not present to the presence. But God's heart and his design is that we are aware of in every moment of those five things. God is good. We are loved. That he's with us. And we are there with a purpose and that our future is secure. That's his heart for us. Worship team, you guys can come on up. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore each one of these anchors so that we can become anchored people. But before we do, I want to just kind of share a few thoughts before we, before we dive into those over the next few weeks. First of all, I think it's really, really important 
that we cultivate these kinds of beliefs before the storm happens. I think that's really, really important. That we actively think about what we're thinking about. Does that make sense? Before we find ourselves in situations where it feels like we're being overwhelmed. But also, I want to I be really clear that often these kinds of anchoring beliefs are forged in the middle of a storm. That oftentimes, it's going through the chaos and going through the difficulty where these things become more kind of a part of who we are. It's because of difficult circumstances that I've passed through that I have some anchoring beliefs. It's because of some of those things that you have gone through that you're like, you can say, you know what? I know that God is good. It's amazing when I talk to older, mature believers who've been walking with the Lord for, all, for a long time, how just non-anxious they can be about situations because they've just seen God's faithfulness over and over again. It's like the issue is settled for them. Like, I, don't, I want that. But I don't want it when I'm 70. I want it right now at 43 and some odd months. Often you don't know what you believe until it's challenged. And that's when these ideas become more real. Because it's just a concept or a theory until it's put to the test. So I want, you to, I want to hear you say, if you're like today, you're here in the room, you're like... Um, I want to believe these things, but I am like kind of in a position where I feel like the disciples and I'm like, I don't know for sure. I want to believe. Guess what? It's okay because you're still in the boat with Jesus, so to speak. It wasn't like Jesus was like, well, disciples, you failed the test. We might as well capsize this thing and start over with a new 12, right? Like, he's like, no, these are the guys. These are the ones we're working with, right? And so in this moment, Jesus Yes, he expects more of them, but he, it's because he wants more for them, right? And so if you find yourself in that place where you're not exactly sure, like, I don't know, I want to be anchored in these things, but I just feel a little rocky. Maybe you're in a difficult place in life. Maybe there's some doubts. I just want you to know that you are safe with Jesus right now, right where you are. Actually, I can see how in this instance, this incident with Jesus actually could have boosted their faith for the next time they find themselves in a chaos. Maybe they didn't have faith in this moment. Maybe they didn't feel anchored here. But I can think about the disciples after Jesus has gone up into heaven and they're gathered around the table and they're, they're thinking about all the persecution that's coming at the church and they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? And then they remember this story. Hey, do you remember when we were in the boat with Jesus? And it seemed like we were gonna die. Like, remember how he acted? I can, I can just picture the disciples having this conversation and, and, and in that moment going, God's got this. God's got this. And so then Peter can go and he can proclaim the gospel, a person who was afraid like, and fearful and running and denies Jesus just a couple chapters later in the Bible is proclaiming to all of the Jews who can hear him that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. So that moment of weakness, that moment of being unanchored, can actually turn into a, a thing that anchors you in your life. Also, I want you to hear that we're not talking about, I'm not talking about becoming robotic, stoic, unmoved people. Jesus was extremely moved with compassion and had tons of empathy for the world around him. 
we see him weep on more than one occasion. So we're not talking about becoming hardened people who are unmoved by the circumstances around him. When, when Lazarus dies, he's grieved almost, he grieves, and then he's grieved almost to the point of death before he goes to the cross. I read a quote this morning that said, just because we know how, that the ending is good doesn't mean we can't be sad about what's happening right now. Just because we know that the ending is good doesn't mean we can't be sad about what's happening right now. You ever watch a movie and you know how it's, it, it ends, but there's that moment in the movie that grips your heart and you just find yourself feeling sad even though you know how it's gonna work out at the end, right? We're in this in-between time where there's difficulty and there's hardship and it's okay to grieve those hardships, the losses that we face, the difficulties, to be in the middle of that grief, but the point here is to being anchored so that grief doesn't shipwreck us. So that the chaos of the world around us doesn't shipwreck our faith. That actually we have an anchor for our soul so that when we do feel drift, we've got something that actually brings us back home. The issue here isn't about stuffing feelings or rejecting grief. It's about when those things come, how to stay anchored. Here's the last thing. Jesus is the anchor. Jesus is the anchor. Hebrews chapter 6 says that Jesus is the anchor for our soul. He is the one that secures our salvation, not our belief. It's Jesus who does it. He is the one who holds us. It's not our ability to be resilient. It is him and him alone who saves us. So our job is to simply hold fast to him the best that we can. When we feel completely lost in the storm and like, I don't know how, what I think about any of these ideas, I turn my trust and my faith to Jesus in the middle of all of that because I know that he's got it somehow. These beliefs that we're talking about, these kind of anchoring beliefs, they're meant to reorient us back to our attention being on him and not on ourselves. So over the next five weeks as we unpack these things, and we look at each one of these steps, the, the goal isn't that, that we somehow just become um, more solidified in some cognitive belief, but that it turns our hearts and our minds so that we hold on to Jesus. So here's what we're gonna do. Over the next few weeks, I want you to take this card that you got when you came in, and I want you to repeat this every day, multiple times a day, until it's in you. Until, until, until this gets in you. And I want you to keep up with this for a while. And then what we're gonna do is over each week, we're gonna give you some verses that you can memorize and meditate that will help to reinforce these truths that are on this card. And I just wanna see what will God do in our midst if we really press in and say, I'm gonna be an anchored person. I'm gonna hold on to these things. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do right now. If you're able, would you stand? And we're gonna read these together. Are you ready? Here we go. God is good. I am loved. I am never alone. I am sent with purpose. My future is secure. We're going to start out each week, the beginning of this message, we're going to read this together. But here's what we're going to do to end tonight. These guys are just going to sing a little bit of one of the songs that we sang tonight. And I want to ask you as a step of faith, to sing this out in declaration. 
I want you to take a step of faith tonight to say, you know what? I'm not sure where this thing is headed, but here's what I want right now. What I want in my life is to be the kind of person in the middle of the storm to be like, shh, be quiet. God's in charge. So we're just gonna sing a little bit of this together and then we're gonna close. Let's do it. Right now, put your faith in him right now. He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. Another time. Sing it out. Sing it out like a declaration. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, and everything around me shaking. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Through 
Today, if you're like in a place where you're like, hey, I feel like this is right here speaking to my heart right now, uh, but I feel like I need a little more time, we would just love for you to take some time to come up front here and pray. Uh, we can pray with you, or if you just kneel, you can pray on your own, whatever you want to do. But I would, I would encourage you to firm this up in your spirit today, even if it's just a first step towards something. Maybe you're feeling like my faith is a little thin. Uh, that's okay. God can impart something new to you today. He can do something in your heart that maybe you didn't think was possible. He is a God who raises people from the dead, yeah. right? So he yeah. can resurrect our yeah. spirits when they're weary and they're hurting. And you don't need to feel guilty for that. You don't need to feel like I'm, you're disappointing God. He is not disappointed with you. The only disappointment is if you don't come to him for help, yeah. right? Like, so that's the only thing to be disappointed about. So if you're feeling like I'm weary, I'm dry, I could use a bolster of my faith, take a step of faith, Come forward and spend some time here praying today. We'd love to pray for you. Just give you a chance to, to pray. If not, I pray that you have an incredible week.